Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The year is 1970. The world-famous Italian director Lucino Visconti is visiting Stockholm due to his new film, Death in Venice, based on Thomas Mann's 1912 novel of the same name. He's looking for a young boy to play the part of Tazio, a young Polish noble. At this point, Visconti has traveled around the world, filmed hundreds of boys, and finally, after a number of screen tests, 15-year-old Stockholmer Bjorn Andresen is given the part when the film premieres in London in 1971, in the presence of Queen Elizabeth and Princess Anne, Visconti declares Bjorn the most beautiful boy in the world. And that is the premise that is the backstory behind this remarkable documentary film called The Most Beautiful Boy in the World. And we're joined today by the co-directors, Christina Lindstrom and Christian Petri. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for being here. I really appreciate it. This is such a, it's a beautiful film to look at. The cinematography is remarkable and so uh, so warm. has a very warm feel to it. And the level of access to Bjorn's life is also remarkable. Tell me which one, if both of you decided at the same time you wanted to do this documentary, or how did this, how, what inspired you to do this particular documentary? Christina? Yeah, I think it was, uh, I think it was meeting Bjorn and, and um asking him about the what happened what ha- what who was this boy and uh, uh, that he was and and uh, what happened to him and so starting to ask him about the backstory why uh, because he talked about his grandmother and uh, who had presented him to different castings and uh, and we asked him why why did you live with your grandmother and so the story about his life uh, Pardon me for interrupting, but how, how did you know him? Did you were you in the same social circles? How did you even know him? Well, uh, we moved in the in the same circle. That is that is right. Uh, from way back, actually, from uh, we are the same generation. So he he was actually a sort of a name for both Christina and me since we were teenagers as well. And you know, you know about the most beautiful boy in the world. He was famous in Sweden. Uh, and um, so it was actually a story that was very close to us in some way. I mean, we, we knew about it and it was so it, it was saying in the most beautiful boy. Yeah, but, but it was almost too, too close. So you couldn't see that. But after, you know, we have been talking about it, we said, but this is, this is actually an amazing story. We should do. So we, we'll ask Bjorn to see what he think about, you know, participating in a film like this. Uh, and he, he was, I mean, he had to think about it, of course, <laughs> and we have to talk for uh, diff, um, some meetings, of course, over one autumn, I think it was, um, talking about how we would do the film and um, what he could, what he would like to participate with and what we would like to do, what kind of thing we would like to do. And, and gaining trust mm. in in that we could handle this uh, story about his life, and that he was going to be the main 
really mean the character the this time would be it would be a film about John and not about Tatsu. Yeah. How much of the of his life did you know of after Death in Venice Visconti? Was was the, the sort of the the details of his life that we see in the film were they known outside of his family? I mean because there's a there and I don't want to give a whole lot away. I want people to see the most beautiful boy in the world. So I don't want to give too much away, but there's a lot of story to be told uh, about him. Was how much of that was kind of in the public zeitgeist? Uh, I actually, honestly, I don't think it was for okay. that. Uh, not his 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 own life story. No, no. Uh, that was uh, because he was uh, very private. Uh, person, even when he was uh, famous, he didn't like the fame very much. He thought it was, you know, overwhelming for him as a, as a teenager, and he it, uh, took him away from his friends and his normal life. And it was because he was so crazy at that time; it was too much for him to handle. So, uh, and he wanted to keep very much to himself. Uh, yeah. uh, well, it would have been a lot for any young person, 15 years old, to be thrust into this level of scrutiny. And especially at a time, 1970, 71, 72, I am unfortunately old enough to have remembered all of these things. And um, so it's a very different media landscape. I think people's kind of ability to adapt to this kind of level of scrutiny is probably better than it would have been in 1971, right? Just in terms of that kind of attention. But he he had, again, I'm going to help for your, I'm going to ask for your guidance and help here in that his family's story, in addition to what he was put through in terms of the, that level of scrutiny is, is all too much. It's just too much. It, you can see what, why he ended up where he did, but um, did you, again, you, knowing what we see in the film now, about his family, about his mom, and the, the things that happened there. We didn't know that when we first talked about it. And that's, I mean, it it was something that we we was brought up in the first talks we had. Yeah, William. about his mother. We knew mm. parts of it. Mm. I mean, we didn't mm. know the whole. Definitely not no. the whole picture, but we knew parts of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It was the same thing with the, with a lot around Bjorn. We we knew that there were some archive materials also, like Super 8 films and so on, but we didn't know the extreme amount of no. archive material that the family have also gathered, like audio tapes and records and films and pictures and so on. Well, it's some very key moments in their life are documented, very key parts of it. It's, it's that part of it's a remarkable kind of development, a, a thing that really adds to the film. But I do want to back up a little bit because I read about it in the introduction. I think it's important for us to kind of give some context to Bjorn Anderson about where he came from. And the for people who don't know who Lucino uh, Visconti is, he was, let's describe sort of that that era and the importance of this particular project, because Death in Venice was, a, as I remember, a big book. I mean, it was a book that was very well regarded. Thomas Mann was 
considered a great author. This was a big project. And, and, and Visconti was considered one of the premier filmmakers in the world at that time, right? So let's, let's kind of go back to that point and sort of give some context to it. Uh, Christian, do you want to take that? Uh, well, Lucchino Visconti is, is also a, a remarkable figure, not only a great film director, but also a remarkable figure uh, as a character. He comes from a royal family in Italy. He grew up in a castle, you know, with servants. He, is, uh, he has his heritage is enormous. I mean, he's one of the most blue-bloodiest persons in Europe. He is... Uh, and he, so he's a sort of like an emperor, you know, where also as a character, as a, as a person. He has power when, in his... Uh... Yeah, he has extreme power on the set and as a film director and also in his, you know, with, with all his heritage, he comes in like, you know, he dominates the room totally. Right. And so he meets this young 15-year-old uh, boy who is an orphan, actually, at the time. And, you know, who is, uh, and... Uh, well, he meets him at a point when he's been doing a worldwide search for this yeah. particular role, right? I mean, hundreds and hundreds, apparently, uh, he looked years, at. For many years. Yeah, for many years. He's been looking for... And the what he, he, see, he sees, I mean, when he, when he sees Björn, he, he sees not only, I mean, the thing that he sees in Björn uh, is, is not only the beauty, but it's his vulnerability, of course. Mm. Yeah. So it's, uh, I, 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 I mean, it's not only that I understand uh, Visconti, and Visconti is a great director, so I understand why he chose Bjorn. Mm. I mean, he, Bjorn has an enormous presence, but he has also, as you say, this particular experience, which I think sorted him out from the other boys, you know. They, he, in when his eyes. In his, you could mm. see it in his eyes, and that's what to say. I want this boy, you know. So I, when he looked yeah. at I'm sure that was part of it, uh, his soul. Yeah, I, there's so much about kind of this journey that Bjorn has been on through his life that is, I don't want to get too esoteric in the describing it, but nonetheless, there's something about a almost a divine intervention into his life of the things that he that set him on this path. I mean, the, the chances of him being chosen for this particular role are off the charts. I mean, in terms of finding somebody like this. But there is a key person in his life, his grandmother, who in, in American parlance would be considered a stage mom. Talk a little bit, Christina, about kind of this, because this does set him on his path of the rest of his life. What happens to him? Yeah, but he, he, his grandmother wanted him to be. She wanted. She pushed him. She, as yeah. he says himself, at it. And um, he's talked about that. He, she wanted to make him do things that she might have wanted to be. I mean, she wanted to be seen, and she, she showed this boy to the world. So Bjorn tells us that he's, he's not, uh, I mean, since he was a kid, you know, he, TV shows, yeah. children's programs, you know, auditions. <laughs> she brought him. He just him, goes and Yeah, she, yeah. she and wanted he, him and to be he, famous. And, and he was also extremely talented, a very talented boy. 
he was good at so many things, singing and playing and uh, acting. And he was, yeah. Did you consider him uh, in watching Death in Venice and anything else he was in? Did you think he was a good actor? Yes. Or do you think he was a particular that type that fit that role? How do I you think? think he, I think uh, I think he is uh, filling this role. Yeah, he has a very strong uh, presence, mm. and we we after Death in Venice, he did some uh, major roles in uh, Swedish feature length uh, drama films, and he was great. Mm. And he that was, was even because good. before he went to drama school. Yeah, he was. Yeah, so, no, he is definitely good. I want to remind our listeners we're talking with the co-directors of this, as I said, a remarkable documentary film called The Most Beautiful Boy in the World. And we're talking with Christina Lindstrom and Christian Petri. And uh, I, there's that part of his life, <laughs> which we know him for, and which I'm sure, as you said earlier, we, we that's how we would know him. But then uh, the part about his his family life, his mother, his own life, I, again, I'm going to ask for your help here because I do not want to give too much away because I think there is just it, this film is so rich in reveals about him. And and also, as we see in real time in the film, his relationship with his girlfriend, with his daughter, with his sister, all of those things are very relevatory about him. They tell us a lot about him. But throughout it all. Again, I, I always I, I was rooting. I've been rooting for him since the moment I saw him in this film, just hoping that things are going to go well for him. He has that for me. That's how I felt watching him. Is that a fair assessment of him in your eyes, uh, Christina or, or Christian? Well, I think at the, at the, at the moment he is in a yes. Um, it's for him to say, but uh, I feel that he's very happy about. Uh, the film yeah. where when we showed it to some small audiences and so in, in Sweden we haven't been able to travel with the film because of the, the COVID uh, situation although it's been shown in different countries but uh, when we, we had some small screenings in Sweden and uh, you know the, the, the reaction from the audience and he, he was very happy and it's I yeah. felt that you know he's voice have been heard <laughs> you know yeah, that that's they, really, that they, and that's the most important thing i mean that's what we have been thinking about every day when we are shooting or or cutting the film that we want we want this film to really be john's film and to be yeah. his voice well, speaking of the film and screening, it will be screening here in Los Angeles on September 24th yeah. at the new the new art theater um, which is one of the premier art houses in Southern California. So congratulations on that. You mentioned COVID. I, 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 does that mean that you will or will not be here for any of the screenings? Or of course, we gonna... would like to. We would love, <laughs> yes. we would definitely, we would yes. love to go, if, but we don't know yet. If you let yeah, us in. Let's, let's hope. Let's hope. I mean, <laughs> okay. No, All right. Well, and I want to talk in a few minutes we have left. I want to talk about the way that you told the story it's as i said to you before we started it feels like a narrative film it feels very lived in uh, the way that it's shot the uh, the look of it uh, the music is obviously very important and i hope i'm getting this particular phrase right it plays out like an arpeggio there's a certain 
there's a there's a feeling of a tonal vibe to the film that is melancholy but at the same time beautiful if that is that sound right but tell me a little bit about how you sort of tonally how this film how you shot it and the way you put it together christina we would we were we were very dis, we, we decided that we wanted this to, to be a film a cineastic film and and, and it's um, our intention was really from the beginning that it should be a film, a great film. And we, 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 we talked about it to be a widescreen film. And we had um, a lot of discussions with the cinematographer, Erik Wallsten. And we also decided about um, the music on, at an early stage, Anna von Hauswolf, a Swedish composer that we think would be great for this film. And, um, so we talked. We talked a lot. We decided also that it, we 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 didn't want it to be like talking heads at all. Everything it should be. Jörn should be with uh, doing all this, meeting all these people, and and we would his not. Journey. We would yeah, his journey. So we would not talk about him with others or experts or you know. We wanted it to be. So we talked about this. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, for example, the 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 opening of the film. You can maybe say something about that. <laughs> no, to do well. I don't know if I Neither. should give, no, give no, away really. uh, too much, but but I really love the way you say that it's beautiful and melancholic. That's for me. It's a very very nice. Uh, or mm-hmm. I think that sounds for me. That's what, accurate. Yeah, that's. Exactly what we would we would like to. Did of. you did you use any of Bjorn's music in the film? No, not not in in the way that he he has made a soundtrack, but he's playing in the film. Yeah, uh, to, yeah. to hear uh, pieces. Were those his compositions? Because they were beautiful. The particular, I believe, was in either a hotel where he's playing the piano. I don't know if that's or where it was, but that's just beautiful. Yeah, don't, this is actually sort of his own version of a classic Swedish folk melody, you know, but he did it, you know, in, in his own way, you know. So it's a very classic Swedish, you know, uh, folk song, which he sort of just play, played around with. Yeah, played around with. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, he's he seems to be a very accomplished musician. And for all of the things that he's been through. And I want our listeners to understand that this is a film that will take you on some ups and downs in terms of his life, in terms of his experience, his journey. At the end, I don't want to say a whole lot, except that I really hope, really hope that he's doing well. I hope he's found a good place in his life. He probably continue to have struggles with these relationships, but we all do. I mean, nothing more, nothing less than the general to and fro of any relationship. But I hope that for him, he feels like he's in a place where he's he's come to come to terms with a lot of the things that have happened in his life. Is that again, I want to be fair. No, yeah. that's that's absolutely the way. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, we will we will tell him you said so. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That would be I would that would be great. I, well I I really want to thank you for the film. I I I know it's been sort of floating around. I've sort of been seeing that it's been ready for release and it's probably been through its own journey in terms of getting it out into the world. 
but I, I can't wait for uh, the, the audiences to react to this because it's just a beautiful film to look at and a, an incredible story, an incredible story. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. The film again, the film again is called The Most Beautiful Boy in the World. And we've been talking to the co-directors, Christina Lindstrom and Christian Petri. To both of you, thank you so much for being here on Film School Radio. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.